Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast presented by Firecracker Sports. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is former big leaguer Matt Antonelli, a PBD Massachusetts native who was recently hired as the new head coach at Bishop Fenwick on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Matt was drafted in the first round of the 2006 MLB draft by the San Diego Padres out of Wake Forest University. He starred in baseball, hockey, and football at St. John's Prep at the high school level. Matt made his major league debut in 2008 and played eight seasons for the Padres, Nationals, Orioles, Yankees, and Indians. After his playing career ended, he coached at Wake Forest and was the recruiting coordinator and assistant coach at the College of the Holy Cross. Antonelli, who founded the travel program Antonelli Baseball, will take over a Fenwick program that earned back-to-back Division III North Championships in 2019 and 2021. I'm looking forward to hearing about his plan for Fenwick as well as stories from his playing career. Before we get to the the interview with Matt, let's review some of the ways you can engage with us at New England Baseball Journal. As we head into the fall, we are starting to look ahead at the high school prep and college seasons on our website, baseballjournal.com. We have prospect rankings for each graduating class at the high school and prep levels. We also highlighted a total of 40 players who will be in the mix for the 2022 MLB draft heading into the spring season. Visit BaseballJournal.com to find any of those stories and sign up for our free email newsletter, which goes out twice a week and highlights the latest content on BaseballJournal.com. We're also working on our fall edition of New England Baseball Journal. That will include prep previews as well as college features at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. If you want to receive the fall edition at your home or office, click on the subscribe tab on BaseballJournal.com. That publication will go to press in October. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Matt Antonelli. Hey, Matt, welcome to the pod. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations on your new position at Bishop Fenwick. Uh, I know you've, you have Antonelli baseball, obviously, and a, a pretty prolific playing career as well. What sparked your interest in that position? So I have coached high school baseball for the last six years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at St. John's Prep as an assistant. That's where I went to school. Um, but when this position came open, uh, I have had interest over the years to eventually be a head coach. So I thought this was a great opportunity to be able to get over there, be a head coach. Um, great school, really solid program. Uh, so I'm really excited. Yeah, and they obviously have a proud tradition. They won uh, the Division Three championship, I think, in 2019 and 2021. Obviously, there wasn't a season in 2020. Um, and there are a lot of great players in that conference, too. Um, how familiar are, are you with some of those top players in the Catholic Central League? So uh, I'm pretty well uh, versed in a couple of those guys. We have uh, Avon Cabral, who's at St. Mary's, who's actually one of our pitchers. And I would guess he's got to be one of the better players in the state. Um, we have a couple of Boston Prep players as well. And then we have some Bishop Fenwick players. So um, it's, a, it's a really, really talented um, league. There's a lot of really good players I'm excited to to coach some of our guys, and uh, maybe not so excited playing against some of those other guys. But they should be uh, should be some good matchups. Yeah, yeah, those guys are great players. I and a lot of our listeners are obviously familiar with Antonelli Baseball, you know, which is a really successful travel program uh, in New England. Now, how did um, what over your last six years at St. John's Prep? How does it how does travel ball compare with high school ball? What are the biggest differences? Yeah, I think. 
kind of seen this trend over the last probably five to 10 years where travel ball is becoming um, larger and larger. And some players are starting to think that travel ball is more important than high school because it's about showcasing. It's about getting players to college. Um, but I think that high school ball is underrated and, and in some ways getting a bad rap. And I've been part of high school ball. I think it's fantastic. Um, it's great baseball. It's more about the team than the individual, which I love. And I think, I think kids love it too, but I think there's been such a, an emphasis placed on recruiting, recruiting, recruiting that some players are starting to, I don't know, maybe get a little bit of bad advice that, oh, high school doesn't matter as much, but I think it's super important. I think there's a ton of development that goes on there. Uh, when I think back to my career, some of the, my best memories are from, from high school ball. Um, and again, I own a travel baseball program, so I understand the importance of that. But I think that they're, I think they're both key components to becoming a better player. And then eventually a lot of the players want to go on and play college and that's fine. Um, but I think there's a huge benefit to both um, high school ball and travel ball and every player's um, experience. So they're, they're both fantastic. And again, being able to actually play for a, a, whether it's a league championship or trying to win your division or whatever it is, um, it doesn't get much more exciting than that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. Last year, I covered the MIAA Division One Championship, um, which is a variant one last year. And uh, it was, you know, it was interesting to cover that because a lot of the guys on Zavarian were saying after the season, you know, the season went super late. There was a really weird schedule last year because of the pandemic. So I think baseball season started in May. The championship game was actually the after the 4th of July. And the Zavarian guys were saying like, there's a, um, a lot of other guys were looking at schools during that time where they started playing travel ball and AAU and stuff like that because they thought it was more important. And the Zavarian guys all stuck with it for the entire year, ended up winning a championship. And, um, you know, they, none of them obviously regretted that decision. How do you get, um, you know, guys to kind of buy into that experience or how will you at Bishop Fenwick when there is so many other, uh, options out there? Sure. Well, I think one thing is I have a, a really good perspective of both because I've coached both for a long time. And, um, my honest opinion, what I would tell players, if a high school player, you know, talk to me about, even if it's Antonelli baseball, if we had a player that said, Hey, I want to go and play in a tournament for Antonelli baseball. Um, I would tell that player that high school comes first. In my opinion, I think high school comes first and should come above travel ball. Those are your, uh, those are your classmates, your friends, people that you've spent every day with. When you look at a, a high school team, you're with those, those coaches and players pretty much every single day from the middle of March in a typical season, you're, you know, the middle of March through April, May, and, and sometimes, depending on how deep you go, the middle of June. And so when you're playing travel ball you're with players during the summer, but you're not practicing every day, you're not going to class with these guys every single day. And so it's a different dynamic. So I think every player owes it to their high school team. I know some people might disagree with that, but I think high school comes first. And then, um, and then travel ball or summer baseball naturally comes after that. And if there's a conflict, I would tell I would tell my players, whether they're high school players or, or our travel ball players in anti baseball, I'd say, you know, you started this season with your school. You owe it to your, your teammates and your school um, to finish out the year. So that's how I look at it. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, not, not as many practices for travel ball. It's more, um, you know, about getting seen by scouts and uh, getting your name out there. 
Um, I, we had Matt Hyden a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about, he put on the summer rivalry classic and he was saying, um, you know, it can be a little difficult sometimes to motivate guys for those games in terms of, um, you know, cause it's a, it's an individual showcase for the most part. You're, there's a million scouts there. You're trying to be seen and be seen. And he, uh, he was saying, you know, the message to his players before that game is, you know, you're on a team for this game. It's basically, you know, a scrimmage and you've got to motivate yourself to try to win the game like you would any other game. And then all your positive characteristics will come out over the course of the game, but you need to really uh, motivate yourself to win the game as a team. Is that, how do you kind of balance that uh, motivate, motivating guys for travel ball when it, they do kind of look, look at it as an individual showcase? Yeah, so we've done it a couple different ways. When I first started travel baseball, when I first started Antonio baseball, I should say, um, we started in the fall of 13. So the, the summer of 14 was our first year. And I ran it. I had no real experience other than playing in it a long time ago. And so I ran it like a showcase team. I said, guys, it's all about you guys. It's all about you know getting you recruited and playing in college and um, what I found that was actually the, the only year I did that because I changed my whole philosophy because I saw the way players went about it. And it was, I'll say it wasn't very fun. It wasn't a good brand of baseball. Everybody was thinking about themselves. They weren't playing for the team and, um, I just didn't like it. So I changed that pretty quickly. And I said, we're going to approach travel ball and summer ball, like a high school season where, it is about the team. Like we do what's in the best interest of the team on the field. And my, my thought is if you worry about the team and winning the game, you typically will play well as a player. When players start thinking about, you know, me over the team instead of team over me, um, they start playing the game a little bit more selfishly. And I just think they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And I've seen a lot of players not play well in that type of atmosphere. So I think it makes it more fun. I think college coaches, they want to see players that are, are going to play the game to help their team win because ultimately if you're a college coach you're trying to find players that can help you win so you're not maybe looking for the most talented player you're looking for the player that will fit best into your team to help you win so that's kind of the way i describe it i think it makes for a more enjoyable season this past season was one of our best seasons in the summer and we had a bunch of guys that played we tried to win every tournament we were in and we really cared about winning games and of course it's about it's about the players as well. I'm not just saying it's all about the team, but I think you have to have a healthy mix of that. And I think the, the best teams that we've had in the summer typically had that type of philosophy, that type of mentality. And those players, more often than not, a lot of those guys went on and played at the schools that they wanted to play. So it all usually ends up working out, in my opinion, if you play as a team and you play the game as, as it's meant to be played. It's a, it's a game with a scoreboard and you're trying to win the game. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about the parents because you hear from a lot of high school coaches that one of the most challenging parts of the job is the parents. Um, they always, you know, think their kid belongs, uh, you know, get getting scholarship offers and all this stuff. And for travel, I would think that it might even be more challenging because the parents are paying for it and it's more individualized that, you know, the whole idea is to get um, offers. Uh, has that has it been a challenge in your experience with Antonelli baseball? Um, yeah, I think it's always going to be, I think anytime, and I think you put it right, like most, most players and most parents, what I've found is, and it's not their fault. It, it can be confusing. A lot of players and parents are getting not the best information. I think every player 
thinks that they're going to play at their dream school. You know, they watch Vanderbilt or Clemson or Florida State on TV and they say, oh, I want to play there. I'm going to play there. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, that are um, that are trying to convince everybody that they can play at the highest level because it, recruiting has really become like this huge business. Um, and so the first thing that I do is I try to explain to people how the process works and give them some numbers so that they understand that not every player is going to play at their dream school. Actually, most players are not going to play at their dream school. Most players are not going to play at the division one level less than 2% of players. And that's okay. Um, it's really difficult to do. And so we shoot all of our players. Most of them shoot the play at the highest level they can play, but with the understanding that, um, a lot of them aren't going to do that. And it's okay to go to a school that maybe doesn't have the prestige or, you know, um, you know, you want to put the bumper sticker on your car or you want to wear the sweatshirt around because you think that's really cool to go to Alabama or wherever. Um, but that's probably in most cases, not the best fit for, for most players. And it's really difficult to play there. And so choose the school that is going to be the best fit for you academically, socially, athletically. And a lot of times that's, that's smaller schools, that's lower division schools, but it's still great baseball. So I try to explain that to players. Um, we've had a lot of experience, you know, we've had probably over a hundred players go on and play college baseball. And yeah, we've got every year we're going to have division one players and some players go into grade schools and we've had guys drafted. But again, I would say the majority of players in any program are going to go to more of a lower level division and that's perfectly fine. And I tell them, look at all these great players we've had that have been top players in their high school, uh, either divisions or teams. Um, and a lot of these players you know, played at the D3 level, some of the D2 level. And that's great. They went there. They had a great career. They got a great education. They've set themselves up for the next 40 years of, of their life. Um, and they look back at it and say, that was great. I got to go there. I got to play. I met, you know, some of the best friends of my life. So I think that's what it's really all about. And I think it's just explaining that to them and not BSing them and not telling them, oh, yeah, you guys, you're all going to go play at Vanderbilt when that's, that's not the case. Right. Uh and you mentioned you've had over a hundred, you know, with Antonelli baseball go on to play uh, college baseball at some different, it doesn't always have to be D1. It could be D2, D3, but um, what, what can you do or what do you do to help your players get recruited when, you know, obviously their parents are looking for you to kind of advocate for them? Sure. So it's a, it's a long process that basically starts right now. So, so players are, um, this is kind of the beginning of our new year as we go into the winter. And so the first thing is educating the parents and the players. We have a, a meeting almost like we're doing right here. We sit down. We did it on Zoom actually last season. And we describe the whole process, about an hour and a half. And we tell players um, everything. We tell them, um, again, we go over the numbers. We talk about how um, we're going to create a target list, target list based on your athletic ability, which I really have to help players with because I've seen so many players and we've had a lot of players go to schools. And so I can, I can help you decide, you know, what should your list look like? What are your reach schools? What are your, what are your safety schools? And then what are your realistic schools that I think really fit? So we make this big list. We talk about how academics come first. And so, you know, and that's usually the easier part players kind of, whether they know what major they want to um, pursue um, or they, they have their GPA, they know what type of student they are. And then socially we, we explain, you know, we break it down and we've had players again from so many schools. So we have an idea of, you know, do you like a big school, a small school? Do you like a school in the north and the south? And so we can kind of help craft that target list. And then after they have the list, um, 
now we teach them how to communicate with schools. And so, you know, we craft an email for everyone. This is what you're going to do. So you have your target list, you have your email list, you start reaching out. Um, that's kind of the beginning of it. Huge part is development. Like the most important thing when you want a college coach to like you as a player is you have to be a really good player. You have to possess the skills that they want, that, that they feel are going to help their team win. And so it's great to have somebody that can um, help you create all this stuff, the target list, the emails, how to communicate. But you also have to have something to show them when they come and watch you. So that's a huge part of it. We have a ton of practices because we got to get better. Like um, Some teams in my mind, you know, a lot of, we, you mentioned it before, a lot of travel teams don't have practice. It's like um, nobody is a finished product as a high school player. And so you've got to get better. You've got to get a lot better. So that's a huge part of it. And then once we get outside and we start playing, um, it's about having a reference that, you know, a college coach can call me or call members of our staff and say, you know, I like this guy's video. Um, I saw him play. I saw him, you know, get three at four at bats. Can he play for me? Or do you feel like he has the ability to play for me? And having someone, I think, that can say yes or say no. Like we, I don't always tell everyone like, yo, yeah, yeah, he can definitely play for you. Some people do that. It's like, I need the, the college coach to say, when, when, I, when I tell him so, when Matt says that this guy can play for me, it means he can play for me. Um, and therefore, I have to tell them, I have to be honest and say, in a lot of cases, like, no, I don't think it's actually a great fit. And I've already told the player that, you know, I'll say this is not a good fit for you. So I think all of that comes into play. And then being able to have, you know, I think it's also important to have a solid team where when you go out and play, people are actually going to come out and watch games. And so there's so many there's so many showcases and tournaments and all this stuff around the country now. And there's, there's a 500,000 teams, it feels like. Um, and so I do think one thing that's helped us is, is we've, we've become a really solid team, especially for our older teams, our high school age players. And so when we go and play someplace, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of good players on the field and the more good players you have on the field, the more coaches are going to want to come out and watch those games. So that's, um, and there's a lot more that goes into it, but I would say that's kind of the main stuff that I think um, is really important when it comes to the recruiting process. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot that goes into it. Um, I was I was reading a, an article about you getting ready for this, and I, I saw that you had a really popular YouTube channel. So I was checking out some of those videos. And obviously, video analysis is, is such an important job uh, or part of this business of um, instruction and and those type of things. But you also... Uh, you know, break down some MLB plays and things like that. And then you also had a uh, MLB, the show gameplay. So you're, you're basically yeah. like, you know, gaming online. Um, how did it, how did all that come about? So YouTube started for me, I think in 2010, it was strictly as a, you know, I was playing still mm-hmm. and uh, I guess YouTube was starting to get a, kind of popular and um I knew I was going to coach one day when I was done playing. And so I started just putting up videos of just instructional stuff. Like I'd be in a game that night playing and something would happen. And I'd say, you know what, that's a good coaching point or teaching point. Let me make a video on that. So that's how it kind of began. And then when I transitioned out of playing in the coaching, I just started doing more of that. And then probably three, four years ago, um, somebody asked me a question and said, um, they said, what type of you know, gear and equipment do you get in the major leagues? And so they said, could you make a YouTube video on it? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I put that video out. 
And like the next day, I don't know, I, I was used to getting maybe like a thousand views on a video. The next day, I think I had like 50,000 views on that video. And I was like, this is really strange. <laughs> so I answered another question and that went really, really big. And so then I realized, okay, there's a, there's a need for, or people want to hear some of this stuff. So it kind of branched off into answering questions about my playing career and and what life's like in the minor leagues, because not a lot of people know about that. And then, you know, my short time in the major leagues telling some of those stories. And that's when the channel kind of really started to grow. And then the, uh, the MLB sh- the show videos, um, actually, one of our players a few years ago was on me saying, Coach, you got to got to play uh, MLB the show. And I said, I'm 30, you know, at the time, 34 years old. I don't have time for video games. My kids play video games. And so they kept telling me, create your character, get on there and play. And so I did. And same thing happened. I put the video up and like the next day I had like 40,000 views of it. And I'm like, this, this can't be real life. People are going to watch me play a video game. <laughs> so it's kind of progressed. I've created this character of kind of like my alter ego. So I was a really quiet kind of player when I played. And so I'm obnoxious and I yell at the screen a lot. And it's actually kind of fun to just let loose. But I've created this whole, you know, different personality, which is fun for me to, to do. So the, the channel has gone in all different ways. But um, it's exciting to be able to just, whether it's tell stories about my playing career or help players get better, um, improve their swing, their you know throwing, pitching, whatever it is. I think this is the best time ever for players, no matter where you're from. You can learn from almost anyone. You can get on YouTube. Any question you have about baseball, about anything, you can go on YouTube and type it in and you can get answers. And so um, I think it's important. You know, I've had a opportunity to play and coach all over the place and so giving back a little bit of what i know i think is important and uh, i enjoy doing it yeah what i found really interesting interesting was that um you know you're you were a former first round pick you made it to the big leagues and you said people recognize you more as your you know video game personality you know with mlb the show you'll be out yeah i think you were in arizona and people recognized you there that's so they're actually going online and watching you play a video game. Is it like a live stream? No. So I used to do a little live uh, when, when COVID was shutting everything down, I'd go live, but now it's just, I film. So I'll like wake up in the morning before my kids get up, I'll play a game. Or I'll play late at night. I just put it on the next day and, and people watch and it's YouTube is really weird. I always tell the story. I made a video about this. You know, I played, um, not that I played a long time in the major leagues, but you know, we'd play a game in San Diego. I'd start at second base against say the Dodgers. And I, you know, after the game, I'd go downtown, downtown's right next to the stadium. And I never once in my whole life did anyone ever say like, Hey Matt, like, uh, <laughs> you know, we just watched you play, you know, we would be in restaurants, whatever. They'd be the game, you know, replay right over, like right next to us. I'd be there with a bunch of players and <laughs> never once did anyone ever say like, Oh, those are the players over there. Um, but when it comes to YouTube, like when I can't go to a tournament, when we went to, we went to Georgia a few months ago, a big tournament down there. And every field I go on, I walk, people are stopping me for autographs, pictures, all this stuff. It's the strangest thing. And they all say like, Oh, it's, it's, um, Matt from YouTube. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but I don't know. That's, I guess that's how the world is now. Um, that's which crazy. is interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> can you monetize that? So, uh, so you can monetize YouTube and actually it's become like a decent little business, but it's, it's funny. Our, our players this year, one of our players wanted to monetize, um, the ability of, or, or he wanted to come up with a way he said, 
you know, let's get a bunch of baseballs. Can you sign your name? And I'm just going to go sit outside the stadium and sell these things for $20 a pop since so many people want to come over for autographs. And uh, I said, that's a pretty good business idea, but I don't think, I don't think we're going to do that down here. So, um, but yeah, you, YouTube has become a, uh, a decent little business. And then, you know, there's other ways that we do. I, I created a course. A lot of people wanted, basically people were all always asking me, you know, um, can you send me all the YouTube videos that will help me with, um, you know, my bat path or whatever. And it's impossible to do. I think I have like 2000 videos on there. So I created a course in January that basically took all of my information from hitting, put it all together. And, um, so that's been probably the best way as far as, you know, trying to grow our anti-baseball business, being able to put it online and give someone a, a really, you know, organized, um, hitting course. So we do that. And then, um, you know, I do some online analysis stuff, uh, like that, but it's been, it's been good. It's, it allows us actually to bring in some extra money that we can then put back into the program, whether it's, uh, facility rentals, machines, baseballs, you know, all that stuff. So it's been really good. Yeah. And I know your dad, he was, he was coaching with you at St. John's prep over the last, uh, six years. And then, uh, so what, I want to go back to kind of your experience growing up and uh, your dad also played college baseball. What was, what was it like for you growing up um, in terms of your baseball experience? Was it, were you watching games every night and, you know, playing year round? Yeah. So I was, uh, when I was young, I played every sport. Um, you know, I played football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, just every single sport I could play. Mm-hmm. Um, even through high school, I played three, I played football, hockey, and baseball all four years of high school. But, um, I also actually played basketball during high school. I couldn't play for my, my high school team. Cause you can't play two sports in one season, but I was playing, um, you know, in a different league. So sports were always a big part of, of my childhood. And then, um, my dad played same thing. My dad played a ton of sports, played soccer and baseball in college. Um, and so I guess we're just kind of a sports family. And so I was always running from one sport to the next. And then uh, probably when I got to, I would say when I got to pretty much like my freshman year of high school, I started to transition a little bit more towards baseball. So I was always a hockey player, like travel hockey and all that stuff. When I was younger, I was playing like year round. Uh, But when I got to high school, I kind of transitioned more to doing baseball year round. And I kept playing the other sports, but I kind of knew baseball was going to be what I wanted to do as I kept moving through high school and into college. So um, started playing more travel ball, started playing never really year round because I had so many other sports, but um, I'd play the spring and the summer. So I played two seasons of baseball and then I'd play just a fall of football and just a, a winter of hockey. And, you know, with the other sports, when hockey was done, I never touched a puck or got on my skates. When football was done, I never threw really a football around. But when baseball was done, you know, I'd still pick up a bat in the off season. I'd play some fall ball in the winter. I'd do some winter training. So that kind of became my semi year round uh, sport. And then when the, when I got to college, it was all baseball 24 seven, basically. Right. Yeah. Could you have played um, college football or college hockey? Um, yeah. So I could have went on and played, I don't know what levels, I mean, I'd gotten some interest, but um, I chose baseball kind of around my junior year. I knew I was going to do baseball. So um, I, I noticed actually when I, when I started to get in the high school and I started um, transitioning more to baseball with any, like with anything, the more you do it, the better you're going to get. So I was probably a little better hockey player when I was younger. Um, but because I didn't play as much, I could see my skills pretty much deteriorating. Um, my senior year of high school hockey, I was still a decent player, but 
uh, I felt worse as a senior than I might have as a, as a freshman because I just wasn't doing it as much anymore. So if I'd given more time to it, if I'd say like, I want to be a college hockey player, um, where I kind of get, you know, when I want to do something, I kind of get obsessed with it a little bit. You know, I probably would have been 24 seven hockey and I'm sure I would have been a better player, but I'm glad I chose baseball. Um, you know, I had, although I didn't play as, as long as I wanted in the major leagues, um, I still enjoyed, you know, every minute of it and was able to play uh, a game for a living. So that was a lot of fun and still am. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. Right. Uh, and what made you decide to um, pick Wake Forest for college? What did you like about that, that school? So I was looking for a school that um, offered both really good academics and then really good baseball. Um, and so I looked, it's weird. I looked mostly at ACC schools. So, you know, my last few choices came down to almost all ACC schools. It was Wake Forest, North Carolina, Notre Dame, um, Boston College, those were, uh, and Georgia Tech. So basically it was almost all um, ACC schools uh, in Virginia, actually. So yeah, every, it seems like every single school now that I'm thinking back, we're all ACC schools. So, um, and they all offer kind of the same thing, really good academics and um, good baseball. My goal was to get a good degree and go somewhere where I could develop. And my goal was to play major league baseball. So I wanted to get drafted and um, Wake Forest was at that time, they'd won a bunch of ACC championships. And the year I committed, I think they started the year number two in the country, I believe. And, you know, I went down there and I really liked the coaching staff. And I just felt, you know, when I got on campus, I tell players a lot, you know, you got to visit the school. When I got onto the campus, I just immediately knew that that was going to be where I wanted to go play. Um, there was just a feeling I got that I was super comfortable. I got around the team and I thought that the players were, were great. They just felt like they were the type of people I'd want to be friends with. Um, and it made my decision really easy. When I got off the campus, I chose Wake Forest like immediately. So, The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball and softball needs with Firecracker Sports player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball. So you got drafted actually out of high school. You were selected in the 19th round. And I know, you know, know, a lot of times the 19th round, um, the money doesn't work. It's not more uh, than you would make, or it's not more than the cost of a college scholarship. Uh, Did you give any thought to signing out of high school? I did actually. Um, So I always wanted to, I always wanted to play professional baseball. So when a, when a team came and and drafted me, um, I had to take it somewhat seriously. Um, it's, it's, it was kind of weird though. I, so going into the draft, uh, I was told that I would go anywhere from say like the, right around the fifth round. It's what most teams were saying fifth to maybe like seventh round. And so, um, that was now my expectation. And when I got to, um, 
when I got to the day of the draft, we actually had high school ball still going on and, you know, everyone's all excited and, and I didn't go in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or the eighth or the ninth. And then I was just like tired of listening to it. So I went out with my buddies and, uh, I got a call that I was drafted in the 19th round and, uh, I should have been really excited, but I was like all upset that I got drafted. I, I felt like, not that I was lied to, but I was like, these teams don't know what they're doing. So, um, after I kind of came down from that, uh, I was offered, I ended up getting offered a signing bonus that was basically like the, what would be comparable to being drafted in the fifth round. And um, I think probably my, my uh, commitment to Wake Forest kind of scared teams off from drafting me too high. So um, I actually had a somewhat of a decision to make because as a high school player, a fifth round signing bonus is pretty good. Um, but I also knew in the back of my mind, I was saying, I kind of want to go to Wake Forest and prove that I should have been a much higher draft pick. Um, so I counter offered and said, uh, I think, I don't remember the exact numbers. I think they offered me 150,000. And I think I said, nah, I'll sign for 200 and like 25 or 250,000, which would have been a bad move looking back, but they said, no, can't do that. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to Wake Forest. And then when I went to Wake Forest, I had this, um, I just told myself, like, I'm going to get drafted in the first round so I can show everybody that they made a mistake not taking me earlier. And uh, I think that really, like, drove me to work really, really hard uh, during my college career. So um, I guess if, if the Dodgers had come back and offered that 225, I think it was, I probably would have signed. And who knows, maybe I would have played 15 years in the big leagues or maybe I would have never made it. So I don't know. It's tough to say. Yeah, I, I was going to ask. So how do you think your development would have, I mean, sometimes you hear about these minor league teams and you're like, Oh, you know, there wouldn't be as much fanfare, you know, wake forest is kind of uh, big time college baseball. How do you think your development would have differed if you had gone pro right out of high school? It's a really good question. Um, so a couple things about my experience in the minor leagues versus college. Um, so first thing about pro ball is it's your job. So, you know, when you're there, uh, you can do baseball all day long. And so, you know, they'll have you out there really early in the day. Uh, you know, you're taking, you're taking way more ground balls, getting way more swings, playing in way more games that you would, than you would ever play in uh, during college. So I think that you're going to get more reps and, and all that stuff. Um, however, the atmosphere is a little bit, it's a little bit different when you go to play pro ball. Um, there's less structure, which I think I would have probably been okay with the less structure. Um, but it is really, a, um, I don't know if you want to call it a grind, um, but it's different than college baseball. Like you, my first year of pro ball, it was nothing like I ever expected. Like it just feels like it beats you up. It's every single day you're playing games all the time. You're doing tons of travel. And so, um, I don't know. I don't know if that would have made me develop more cause I'm doing it 24 seven or, if, um, you know, or if it wouldn't, if it would just beat you up too much and, and you're doing it as a, you know, as a 18 year old kid, um, that, that has never done that before. I mean, I know after I played eight years of minor league baseball and if I played more at the lower levels, I mean, it's really, really hard. It's the higher levels of the minor leagues are, are much easier when it comes to travel and, and food and, where you're staying and all that stuff and being able to take care of your body. Um, you know, so I don't know. I think college baseball is great though, that it's really structured. Yeah. You're in school more and it's not all about baseball 24 seven, but, um, 
I made it about baseball kind of 24 seven. Like I was able um, to get my work in. I worked a lot on my own, um, you know, and so I don't know. I, I think, I think I made the right decision going to play at Wake Forest. I think I no doubt developed, um, got drafted a lot higher and still had the opportunity to go and play. And at that point I almost had my degree. I went back when I was like 29 to finish up my degree, but, um, and then I was able to go play pro ball and, you know, still had an opportunity to develop, had an opportunity to go play in the major leagues. And, um, you know, for a bunch of reasons, it didn't go as well as I wanted it to, but I still had the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have been as happy, um, you know, if you had gone pro and it was a job and it just like the grind you talked mm-hmm. about, and maybe you wouldn't be doing what you are now still in baseball. Um, what were you, you mentioned, you know, low levels of minor league baseball and the buses and hotels and things. Was it a, was it pretty shocking to you how, uh, because, you know, you hear about these signing bonuses and these base, big contracts for first round picks. And then all of a sudden they're in single a, was that shocking to you? Kind of the conditions that you were playing under? Yep. No doubt about it. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I can remember when I was flying in, I, I was sent to short season, a ball in Eugene, Oregon. And, uh, I remember pulling up to the stadium. I flew in, I pulled up to the stadium and, uh, you know, it's a, it was a great place out there, but I remember the first thing I said was, there's no way this is where I'm playing. It's the stadium was, um, it was historic. I'll say it was, it was very old and it's just not, you know, when you play, um, and I've only played in the ACC in college, but you know, when you play in the ACC, you've got unbelievable facilities and just everything's top notch. And when you go to the low minor leagues, I can't say that it was top notch facilities. So, um, the players are great. Like the players are great. The coaches are great, but the facilities and the travel and, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for five months and, you know, fast food on the road all the time. And, you know, I was lucky I got a large signing bonus, but most of those players have no money. You know, they're, it's costing them money to play. A lot of them, I've seen players quit because they can't afford to play. So it is very tough. I know they're making some changes. They've increased pay to minor leaguers. I believe meal money has gone up. So players are getting more money for their, for their meals. Um, but it's not, you know, everybody, I think everyone sees the major leagues and things like, oh, that's what the minor leagues are like. And it's like, it couldn't be more different from what you see in the major leagues. So once I went to the major leagues and had to go back to the minors, it's, um, and I went back to AAA, which AAA is, you know, if you look at short season at AAA, they're not even close to being able to be comparable. So minor leagues or low minor leagues are, are def- it's tough. It's, uh, it's probably tougher than I think most people um, can imagine. But again, I say that and sometimes people get mad. You're playing baseball for a living. So, you know, there's a lot worse things that you could be doing for sure. All right. Yeah. But still not very glamorous at that, at those low levels. Um, you made a pretty quick, uh, swift rise to the big leagues. Uh, like you said, you didn't spend a lot of time in those low levels cause you were coming out of college. I think, um, you started playing professionally in 2006. You were in the big leagues by 2008. What was it like to make your uh, debut? Did you have your parents there, all that stuff? Yep. So I, um, yeah, it's really weird how I moved up through the minor leagues. I, I, I just happened to have the best year of my life, my first full pro season. Hmm. And uh, I don't know why it happened, but everything kind of came together. My swing felt better than I ever had in my life. And 
Um, it allowed me to get through the minors really quickly. I actually got the AAA and uh, actually then my swing became the worst I'd ever had in my life. It's really weird how that happened. It went from the best I ever felt to the worst I ever felt in, you know, in a year essentially. And, uh, so I struggled in AAA my first time around. A lot of people said, you know, oh, he's, you know, too fast of a rise. Shouldn't have come up this quickly. I don't think it had anything to do with that. I just think that my swing fell apart. Most people don't believe that. They're like, hey, you know, if you hit once, you can always hit. And I've learned that that's not the case. And uh, so I really struggled just based on not having a swing that was going to work at that level. Or really at any level, you could have put me back in college and I probably would have hit 200. So, um, but I got lucky. I, I, I had a, um, uh, one of my buddies on the team who has now since then been a major league hitting coach. He helped me kind of figure out my swing. We had a patches together, you know, I was hitting like 160, three quarters of the way through triple a. And thankfully they didn't send me down the double a. And I think I hit 300 last month, kind of figured my swing out and got called up. So when I got called up, I, um, yeah, I called my parents, called my wife and uh, they all flew out to LA to see my debut um, out there. And it was great. I had whole family in the crowd and got a hit my very first at bat and, you know, thought I was going to the hall of fame and, <laughs> and that didn't happen, but it was awesome. Yeah. You hear everybody describe that. Welcome to the big leagues moment, you know, where like they step in the box and then, you know, DeGrom's throwing 101 right by like, did you have one of those moments where you're like, Holy smokes, this is a different level. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, I don't know if I ever had one particular moment, um, you know, my first at bat was against Greg Maddox, who obviously a Hall of Famer, but he was it was at the end of his career, and so that actually was probably the most comfortable at bat I've had in a long time. He wasn't throwing very hard; he threw a fastball right down the middle. I hit a single, and so like I got to first and thought, like, man, this major league stuff's like really easy. Um, but then what you realize is, again, it wasn't one particular moment; it's just moment after moment after moment of saying, okay, the next day we face Clayton Kershaw, and then. You know, then you face, who, you know, whoever you go to play the Giants, you face Matt Cain, you face Tim Linscom, you and then, you know, you go to Colorado, you face Ubaldo Jimenez. And it's like every day you're like, man, I'm facing another really, really good pitcher. And even pitchers that you don't, you know, you've really haven't heard of. They're obviously some of the best in the world. And so like for me, I grew up watching a ton of baseball and all these guys I'm playing against are all guys that I've either watched on TV or I know they're great players. And so there's never like a night off. There's never any easy nights, even pitchers that the, the common fan will be like, Oh, this guy's not any good. He's got a, you know, four and a half ERA or five ERA, whatever. Like those, <laughs> those guys are hard to hit off still. And so, yeah, it's just my welcome to the big league moment was when I went over 21 and <laughs> couldn't hit anybody that was up there. That was my welcome to the big league moment. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's cool that you can say you got your first hit off Greg Maddox. Everybody knows who he is. Who uh, You have one big league home run. Who was that off of? Um, it was against uh, the Rockies, um, which everyone gives me crap for. They say, you, yeah, you hit one home run and you cheated. You hit it uh, in Colorado in the thin air. <laughs> um, but it was against um, Jason Hirsch, I believe was his name. Uh, he was a reliever. I think he threw me. Uh, he threw me a fastball that I, I literally hit. Um, it went about three inches over the fence. And uh, actually, it might not have even. One of the fans, it looked like he almost reached over the fence and caught the ball. Um, but I appreciate him, him doing that because 
it got, it got me the home run, I probably would have hit off the fence and bounced back in. But yeah, that was my one home run. And um, never, uh, I think I ended up, I only ended up with like 60 something at bats or so, which you probably should still hit more than one home run. Um, but at least I got, I got one. So when anyone gives me any, you know, crap, I can say, well, at least I have one more home run than you in the major league. So that's, that's the only, my only go-to. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, you should omit the part about hitting it, um, you know, three, three inches over the fence. Just say it was a 450 footer. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, so I know I was reading about, uh, your playing career, obviously 2009 to 2013 were kind of injury plagued seasons. It sounds like what, what were your injuries? Yeah, I, um, I think I think I actually missed more games than I played during my career, which is, you know, it's weird. I, I never got hurt my whole life. Um, I never missed a game. I never missed a game until I missed my first game in professional baseball. Like I just, and I played every sport and never got hurt. I somehow I got lucky. Even when I did get kind of hurt, I the next day I'd bounce back and feel great and play. And then I got the pro ball and things just started to, to fall apart on me. So, uh, I, I started getting really bad pain in my wrist and my hand in 2000. And I noticed at the end of 2007 and then 2008, it was really bad. And, uh, then it got worse in 2009 and I just kept trying to play until I couldn't play anymore. I remember going into the uh, trainer's room and I was trying everything. They were giving me all types of stuff to try to get me through games. And, uh, I finally told them, I was like, I don't think I can play today. Um, my hand just, I can't swing. Every time I swing, I feel like it's like, you know, someone's stabbing me with something. So we went to the doctors and figured out that I had a broken hand. And, um, so I got that fixed and then I came back and I was hitting and I was like, I still can't hit. (laughs) There's still a sharp pain. So we went for another opinion and found out that I had a wrist issue. So then I got wrist surgery, knocked me out the whole year. And then from that point on, I just, uh, every year I got a wrist surgery essentially. So I, I, I guess I have an arthritic wrist, something with the joint on the, on the inside of my wrist. And, um, so I'd have to get a procedure every year to get that cleaned out. And, um, and then I just started having other issues. I don't know if it's cause I wasn't, you know, I couldn't consistently train. I wasn't on the field a lot, but pulled a hamstring really bad one year, had a knee injury another year. Like, so, you know, it's just, they just start piling up on you. and. Um, I never played close to a full season after 2007. Uh, well, 2008, I guess was the last time I played technically a full season. And then nine, 10, 11, 12, and 13, I could just never get through a season. I played either half a season or I, you know, in 2009, I didn't play. I played one game. I played a rehab game and in rookie ball. And I, I took one swing in the game and I came off the field and said, I can't, I still can't swing. And then I went right back and got surgery again. So, that's kind of how the last, you know, four or five years of my career went. Yeah, I remember uh, like 2008-ish, I, was, I would cover the Red Sox once in a while, like a weekend game or something like that. And uh, back then, Ortiz was having a problem with his wrist. Um, and one of my uh, friends on the beat, Rob Bradford, uh, the Phil- I think the Phillies were in town. or the- Pat Burrell was the guy he was talking to because uh, he had wrist surgery and had wrist issues. And he- I remember he asked Pat Burrell, like, Hey, what do you think David Ortiz is going through? And he was like, I'm not going to talk about it in front of the rest of the team. Let's go talk about it in a back room because a wrist injury is just a, a career killer for baseball. That's a, that's a tough one. It must have been a really difficult decision uh, to you know, come to the decision to retire from playing. How, how did you arrive at that decision? 
Yeah, it was actually it was actually a really easy decision because uh, no one wanted me. Um, oh, really? But what happened was I, um, you know, I think I kind of knew that I wasn't going to get a chance to get back to the major leagues. Um, and I don't even know if it was so much because I didn't think I was good enough. But I do think when you're hurt a lot, as much as I was, you can't practice very much. Um, you know, I had to monitor everything I did. I couldn't take too many swings in batting practice because my wrist would hurt in the game. And, you know, I couldn't hit too much in the off season because I was in a cash from surgery. And so um, I could just tell my skills were not, you know, you want to be getting better and better and better every season. I didn't feel like I was, I was doing that. Um, and then I, I got to clear, I went, I signed with the Indians in 2013 and actually I felt great somehow. I just, um, my wrist wasn't hurting me in, in spring training. I had probably my best spring training of my career. And I was called into the office after that uh, spring training. And they told me that I was essentially, I was, uh, I didn't make a team. I was, if I wanted to go with the AAA team, I could. And, uh, but basically I wouldn't be on the team. I'd just be there. And if, you know, someone got hurt and they needed me, they could, they could use me, but um, most games I wasn't going to dress. And that was the first time where I was like, man, I thought I just had a great, like I went in, I went into that meeting and I was like, are they telling me I'm going to the major leagues? Like, I don't think so, but I don't know. Maybe they're just telling me good job for great spring training. And they were like, you didn't make a team. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was. I was like, okay, um, I'm not doing as well, I guess, as I, as I, as I thought. And so I went to AAA and I never played. I think I got three, four or five at bats in a month. And, uh, I was released. I was calling the office, told they were releasing me. I called my agent and he said, let's see what, you know, what's going to happen here. And nobody wanted me, which I cannot blame them at all. I'd had probably 12 injuries at that point. I barely had played. A lot of teams had given me a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Cause I think they said, well, you know, he's first round pick and he's got ability. Um, he's been banged up, you know, maybe we can, maybe, um, you know, maybe he's still okay. And we can, figure out maybe why he wasn't successful in those other spots or other stops. And um, no one called this time when I was, when I got released from the Indians, the only people that called were a ton of independent ball leagues. And, um, you know, if I was fully healthy, I probably would have said, I'll try the independent ball thing. But I was at the point where I'm just trying to hold on. Like I said, wrist surgery every year. I knew one was probably coming at some point soon. And I just said, you know, I want to coach. I see myself being in baseball for ever. Um, but I don't think as a player, it's going to happen anymore. So I told my agent, I said, thanks. Thank you very much. I told all those teams, I said, I appreciate the interest, but I've decided I'm going to uh, move on and become a coach and do that. And uh, I'd say for the first couple of days, it wasn't that I was like upset that I couldn't play anymore because I tried as hard as I could. But the feeling of, it's really weird for about a week or so, my mentality was strange. I don't want to say I was struggling mentally, but um, I think when you only think about one thing every day for that many years, you know, my main goal is playing the major leagues. And I started thinking about that when I was like 16 years old and now I'm almost 30, like that's 14 years straight of doing it every day. And so, um, I just didn't know what to do with my life. I know I want to coach, but I was like, I don't know. I don't, I've never coached before. Like what the hell am I going to do? So, um, but I, I figured it out and, uh, and everything's been good since. Yeah, it seems like it worked out really well for you. And I give you credit for staying in baseball. A lot of guys at the end of their career need a break or they don't want anything to do with baseball. So uh, I give you credit for staying in it. Now, will you, are you taking your dad with you uh, to Bishop Fenwick 
to coach or is he staying at St. John's prep? Um, so I told my dad to do whatever he wants. I didn't want to, um, the last thing I wanted to do was take any of the coaches from, from St. John's because they're all, you know, they're all good friends of mine. And, um, and actually most of the coaches over there are anti baseball coaches. So, um, but I, I told, I told them, do not feel like you need to come with me at all. Like, um, I'm obviously still a huge fan of St. John's. That's where I went. Um, uh, the pitching coach at St. John's is one of our anti baseball coaches. He's going to stay at St. John's. Um, my dad has not said officially, but, uh, I'm pretty sure that he's going to want to come coach at, at Fenwick with me. So, um, and he's been at the prep since, man, I don't even know. He's been coaching at the prep. He was coaching at the prep when I was there. I was there 99 to 03. So we're looking at like 20 something years. Right. Um, but, uh, but he's coached with me with Antonio baseball forever. So I have a feeling that he's going to, he's going to probably want to come over and coach. Nice. Uh, last question for what type of team do you want to coach? Is it, you know, are you going to be aggressive on the base paths or, you know, what type of, uh, what coaching philosophy are you going to put in place? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I think aggressive is a good word, aggressive, but smart. It's probably something really simple. Um, but I think we just want, want players who are going to play really hard, that are going to work really hard and practice. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I think, you know, establishing good practice habits and, and putting certain systems in place where players are improving every single day, where, you know, I think players in high school, what do they want to do? They want to they get better. They're playing. A lot of them want to play at a higher level. Um, so they want to get better, but they want to win. Um, which I think is huge. And they also want to enjoy themselves. They want to have a positive experience. They want to look back and say, you know, man, I really enjoyed going to practice every day. Um, and you don't want to look back and say, man, I'm so happy that was over. So um, I think that's all part of it. I think it's about having a really good atmosphere where players can enjoy themselves, but also work and work, and work hard. And I think one of the things I loved about being at St. John's all those years is players took it really serious, yet they they had fun. They were, they enjoyed being around each other. And so, um, but they were just serious players. And I think at Bishop Fenwick, it's the same thing. I think the athletics over there are, no matter what sport you're talking about, it's really, really solid. And players go to Bishop Fenwick, particularly baseball players say they, they went there because they want to play baseball at that school. And so you've got serious players that want to win, want to work hard, want to develop. And uh, any team I've ever been around, that enjoys themselves. And that, that doesn't mean it has to be loosey goosey and, you know, no rules and all this stuff. I think players want structure and they want to be pushed. And I think that's important, but um, again, some place that they're going to enjoy coming to and they're going to enjoy working hard together. So um, that's kind of it. Play hard, play aggressive, play smart. And, um, you know, I think things will fall in place the way that they should. Good deal. Well, uh, Matt, thanks so much for the time. I know you have a daughter uh, home today, so uh, be sure to thank her for letting us borrow you for a little while here. And good luck at Fenwick. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. 
UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Thanks again to Matt Antonelli for coming on the pod. It sounds like he has a great plan in place for Fenwick, and it was fun to hear the stories from his playing days as well. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert every time a new podcast goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit baseballjournal.com. We update the site with new stories daily. Click the subscribe tab to get the fall edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at baseballjournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast. Podcast.